First John chapter 5. We're looking particularly at verse 21 this evening. It's a strange little <coughs> postscript, little PS at the end of the letter. You know what a, a PS is? Well, you don't really have need for them in emails, you know, because you, you put them at the end of a letter when you wrote it in hand. Uh, and you had remembered something that really should have been said in the letter, so you added it after your signature. P.S. Uh, I love you. Uh, P.S. Uh, bring the milk. Um, P.S. Uh, as Paul said in one of the letter, his letters, bring uh, my books and my cloak uh, that I left at Troas. Well, here at the end of Romans, or not Romans, First uh, John uh, chapter 5, we've got this strange little uh, postscript. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. It's really strange because usually at the end of a letter in the Bible you've got a benediction or uh, what's called a doxology. You know, all praise and blessing to God. If you flick on over to Jude uh, chapter, uh, well Jude only has one chapter, the last verses of Jude, you'll see a doxology. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Saviour be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. If, you, if we're flicking back to John, 1 John 5, look at Second John and 3 John. Um, greetings uh, in Second John, the last verse, and in Third uh, John, peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. Letters in the Bible usually finished with either a doxology or a benediction like we have at the end of the service or a final greeting or a final encouragement or a prayer. But John finishes with this really punchy command. Dear children, <coughs> keep yourselves from idols. To make it even more puzzling, there's been no mention of idols anywhere in the letter. In fact, there's no mention of idols in any of the three letters that John uh, writes. In fact, there's no mention of idols in John's gospel or in any of the three letters that John writes. That seems utterly random. Is he having a senior moment? He is uh, about 90 at this stage. Um, no, he's not. This little command that seems so out of place is a perfect summary of what he's been saying in the letter. False teachers have been coming. John is seeking to guard these believers from the false teaching, from their wrong views of God, their wrong views of Jesus, their wrong views of Jesus' work. And it's utterly vital that these believers Keep their hearts from wrong views of God. These false teachers were also saying, well, you could, you could behave in all sorts of ways. Let your desires, you know, have, have free reign. You know, it's okay to behave like this. It doesn't matter what you do in your flesh, in your body. It doesn't matter. It's only your soul that matters. And so you could give free reign to your bodily appetites. John says, no, 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 no. You live, you obey God's commands. He says it over and over again in his letter. Another way of saying that is keep yourselves from idols, from bodily desires, from false views of God, from whatever way 
it shows itself. And there's three things I want us to see this evening. First of all, there's the problem of idolatry. The problem of idolatry. What is idolatry? Well, none of us here, I think, is bowing down to a statue of Buddha or a statue of Mary. Um, but what is idolatry? Well, in Romans 1, uh, 25, Paul uh, says something that's really quite helpful. He says, They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. Uh, earlier, he has said, uh, Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. That's why idolatry is, there's two, two, two aspects to it. There's taking some part of the creation and making it, in a sense, more important than the creator. Or it's to believe a lie about God. When we put anything in the place of God, We've created an idol. God said in Genesis 20, you shall have no other gods before me. When we take, it doesn't even have to be a bad thing. It can be a good thing. And we can make a good thing into a God thing. And it becomes more important and more significant to us than God. And we'll think about some of those in a moment. And it doesn't simply have to be something that's, since part of the physical creation, it could be, Abilities that we've got. It could be the way we see life. Uh, we can take anything and, and give it too high a place. Some way that God has made us, we can take and elevate to too high a position. One writer talks about when we receive God's gift of creation, not as a gift from God, but we make it into a rival to God. So whenever we receive God's gift, not as a gift, but we take it and make it into a rival uh, to God. Um, so it's, it's <coughs> idolatry. But another way is when anything or anyone is more important to us than God. Or to make it practical, when anything or anyone impacts us more than God impacts us. That's having more impact on our life. That's shaping our lives more than God is shaping us. And that's wrong. He is to be the key shaper. He's the potter and we're the clay. So it's not simply having little statues and bowing down to them or having something as crass as, as money or uh, possessions. It can be all sorts of things. Or it can be to be believe a lie about God. For we have an idea in our minds about what God is like that doesn't match up with the Bible's description. And that can be very subtle. Uh, where we can, we can see God in a certain way and the God I believe in wouldn't do this. Or the God that I believe in wouldn't allow that to happen. Well, we've, we've got God as we've shaped him. As we picture them. And that's, uh, that's dangerous. The problem of idolatry. And, and just three things quickly to note here. It's a Christian problem. 
That's what John's saying here. I guess it's a pagan problem. We've sung about that in Psalm 96. But it's also a problem for believers. Dear children. So we can't think that it's limited to people around us. It's a danger for us. Uh, Tim Keller uh, writes, he says, I'm not asking whether or not you have rival gods. I assume that we all do. They are hidden in every one of us. An older writer, David Clarkson, uh, pictures the soul as a house. And he says, idols are set up in every room, in every faculty. So it's, it's a problem for the believer. It's a persistent problem. It's the problem that plagues the Old Testament people of God the whole way through their story. Uh, they seem uh, to have gotten away from it. Uh, you know, they're not bound down to the false gods. Um, by the time we come into the New Testament, when we see how the Pharisees uh, treat God's law and the, their own traditions, they have taken a, a good thing and made it into a God thing, and they've, they're not able to hear what God's saying because their rules and their regulations have become an idol to them. And here's John writing one of the last books, if not the last book, chronologically. It may be that. In fact, this may be the very last words inspired uh, in the New Testament. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. See the persistence of it? Problem way back in the Old Testament, still a problem thousands of years later in the New Testament. And although, although in Ezekiel God says, whenever the Holy Spirit comes, he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you will be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. See John Calvin once said that the human heart is an idol factory. It just manufactures them. And that's certainly true of us before we become Christians. But to Ezekiel God makes a promise that he will cleanse us from idols. And so there's a breaking of the hold on our hearts. But it's as if the factory is under new management, but the workforce hasn't been fully retrained. We are still very good at giving ourselves to idols. God has broken the hold, but we still manufacture them. And we worship the creation rather than the creator. We still can exchange the truth of God for a lie. It's a persistent problem. Thirdly, it's a crippling problem. Idols feed our pride. Idols are like drinking salt water, seawater, when you're thirsty. They just make things worse. They feed our pride, and pride is a great crusher of our souls. <laughs> feed our pride. Yeah. Our children are doing well. We're proud in our children and how they're doing. We're proud in our job and how our job's going. And it feeds our pride because we've made these things into idols. Or <coughs> idols can crush us. Children aren't doing well. Uh, they're struggling. They're rebelling. And we're down in the dumps. We're, we're crushed by it because we have hung all of our significance on, on them. Or on our job. Or we lose our job. Or our job isn't going well. Or our work's not going well. And we're crushed. Because we've made our job into a be-all and end-all. They fail us. They eat us up. Um, I remember... Uh, 
coming across two two quotes. One from Johnny Wilkinson, the the uh, English uh, rugby player, and he said that after they won the World Cup in two thousand and three. I had already begun to feel the elation slipping away from me during the lap of honour around the field. I couldn't believe that all that effort was losing its worth so soon. He said, I just achieved my greatest ambition and it felt a little empty. Ryan Giggs, who played over a thousand uh, top flight games of football, said, I never enjoyed a game. This thing that that had the prize that had set before them, it, it failed them. It disappointed them. It let them down. Idols do that. We, we get the thing we wanted. And, oh, is that it? They distract us from God. It's crippling. They cause us to doubt God. They skew our view of God. That's the reason why John mentions it. Nothing but a clear view of Christ is going to bring us certainty. And so idols are a crippling problem. Idols can replace Christ to such an extent that a person who professes to be a Christian can give up on God because God hasn't danced to their tune. See the danger of idols? They have an idea in their mind of what God will do and how God will perform and how God will do this for them and how God will answer this dream for them and provide this and that for them. And when God doesn't do it, they walk away and they blame God. Well, whose fault's that? They had a wrong view of God. They had something that they said, God, it'll only be God if he does this for me. Or it may not cause a professing Christian to walk away because they are actually a genuine Christian, but because we have something set in our hearts that is more important to us on a practical level than God is, it ruins our walk, it ruins our enjoyment, and it ruins our witness. Well, the problem of idols, you see. Let's look secondly then at diagnosing our idols. Diagnosing our idols. Jeremiah 17.9 Jeremiah says that the heart is deceitful above all things. We're good at a cover-up. We're good uh, at hiding things. And and because idols aren't always bad things, because they can be good (coughs) things, because they can even be good character traits, then they can be hard to see. And then add to that, we've got a problem of being black and white. Um, I've lost count of the number of times uh, that uh, I've heard this sort of thing. You, you say uh, something like, "Children, uh, our children can become an idol to us. You know, and somebody goes, well, are you saying I shouldn't love my children? Oh, that's, there aren't only two options. It's not just that things are black or white. There's a whole spectrum in between. And, and sometimes we have a tendency to, to make things black or white. And say, well, well, I surely have to love my children. Yes, but that doesn't mean that they have to be raised to a place higher than anything. Surely, are you saying it's wrong for me to do my job well? Absolutely not. 
But it's not to be the be-all and end-all. It's not to be where we get our satisfaction from. It's not to be where we get our security from. Idols. We want to diagnose them, but they can be tricky. Another thing, too, that makes it tricky is, and again, Tim Keller has a book called Counterfeit Gods. It's really helpful. And he describes what he calls surface idols and deep idols. Surface idols are things that are really obvious uh, and they're usually physical, tangible, uh, audible. You know, the person who makes money, they're be-all and end-all. And uh, they've got a flash car, they've got a lovely house, uh, they dress well, and they're throwing their cash about. Or, uh, for the person whose appearance is everything to them, and so they spend a lot of money on their appearance. Or those for whom relationship is the goal of their life and they must be in a relationship. You can see this. It's clear. It's on the surface. Approval. The person who's always wanting the approval of others. It's clear. It's easy to see. It's a surface idol. Food. Greed. Drink. Alcohol. Sex. They're all surface idols. They're physical. They're tangible. Approval is audible. Here, the praise being heaped on or uh, the desire for it. But Keller goes on to say there are deep idols. And money can be a deep idol because the, the person who doesn't throw their cash around and doesn't um, splash it out on, on, on the latest this and that and on the nice house and on constantly modifying uh, their home and, and decorating and all those sorts of things they can be squirreling their money away in the bank and they can actually look on the other sort of person and feel secure think ha ha you know money's not an idol to me look at those people throwing it around and, and showing off with it I'm not like that but actually what are they trusting in whenever hard times come they're not trusting in God they're trusting in their savings in their resources. So money, rather than being a, an on-the-surface idol that, that shows itself clearly, it can be deep and it can be rooted in a deeper way where it's where we get our security from. Um, our abilities can function as a deep idol, a deeply rooted idol, where somebody might say uh, that the person, I remember reading this in a commentary recently that, that um, people who worry are actually fundamentally proud. They feel that they should be able to control life and, and know what's happening. And uh, that their problem is that they're proud. Uh, and, and that their ability to control life has become an idol for them. And I thought, well, actually, the opposite's also true. And it's something that we've talked about before. I don't tend to worry about things. Does that mean I can pat myself on the back and say, well, I'm me, you know, for not being one of these proud warriors who thinks that they should be able to... No, I, I don't worry because I'm proud of my own abilities. I think I can cope with whatever comes. Should I pat myself in the back for that? No. My deep idol is confidence not in God's provision, but in my ability to cope. But it's not on the surface. It doesn't, it doesn't look like... Uh, it actually can look quite virtuous. Oh, look, they're not worried. Oh, look, they don't flaunt their money. See, it's a deep idol. 
hard work. Because we're, we're fearful of the future. And hard work looks virtuous. But actually if we're doing it for a wrong motivation. It can be because we have a deep <coughs> idol. Of I will provide for me. I will provide. And if I don't provide who will? Our reputation as a Christian. Can be a deep idol. It leads to surface righteousness. Where we perform well in front of others. But we're not actually rooting out the weeds of our heart. Approval. More subtly managed. Where we never take hard decisions. And we mask it as being gentle. And wise and patient and understanding. And all those sorts of things. We can. Our motivations are less easy to spot but they can be as coming from deeply rooted idols as those surface idols we spoke of diagnosing idolatry let me give three areas to watch for three areas to watch for where does our significance come from where does our significance come from if people have no God, where do they get their significance from? Well, you know, it's, they'll get it from anything and everything. And it would be easy for us as Christians to do exactly the same. I remember reading uh, the biography of the New Zealand rugby captain Richie McCaw. And they just lost the World Cup final uh, to France. And the team psychologist pulled the whole team together in the team room back at the hotel. And he said... He said this, great piece of wisdom. Playing rugby is what you do. It's not who you are. That's great. That's true. Richie McCaw writes, but shortly after that, I'm called out to do one more interview. And the interviewer's eyes, he says, are glistening with emotion, obviously a New Zealand interviewer, uh, as he talks about the end of the dream. And that's when it really hits me. What this loss will mean to so many people in our rugby community, our rugby nation. Try telling them that supporting the All Blacks is what they do. It's not who they are. Try telling them that. See, I feel tears welling and struggle to get a grip. Where does significance come from? Richie McCall realising actually the vast majority of his nation got it from rugby. Where do we get our significance from? Um, it would be easy to get it from our work. How others perceive our work. Our work as farmers, our work uh, in offices, our work as housekeepers, our work as ministers, our work at whatever, our work at school. And to feel as if we're somebody because we're doing well in these areas. We could get it from our family. From our children. From them doing well. We could get it from our reputation as a worker. As a father, as a husband, as a preacher, as a mother, as a wife. Our reputation as a Christian. We could get our sense of significance from 
a relationship. I'm a somebody because I've got somebody. Or you get our significance from being in control of our lives. Master of our life. We could get our significance from money, from prosperity. We could get our significance. Well, what one thing if we had it would make us feel as if we were somebody? Or what one thing if it was taken away from us would we feel utterly crushed? Where does our significance come from? Another question that we can ask. Where does our satisfaction come from? Where does our satisfaction come from? Where do you go in your mind for comfort and joy? Where do you go practically for comfort and joy? Uh, Where uh, do you go when you're down so that you can be picked up? What do you think of that gives you a buzz and a lift? What do you do that gives you a buzz and a lift whenever you're down? Where does your money go? Follow the money trail. That sometimes shows us what actually brings us our greatest satisfaction. The person who goes out and buys something new to cheer themselves up. And they've got a whole wardrobe full of stuff or a whole garage full of stuff. Or they've got a lot of unused technology sitting about. Or they've got a study full of books. Where do we get our satisfaction from? And that can be our work as well. How much time do we spend working that is, in a sense, beyond working? That can be the case too. And we can get our sense of of satisfaction uh, from... And then then we're, we're, we're tied to that. And we're not happy if we're not doing it. Or to... And to turn the question on its head, what things have the ability to destroy my happiness on any given day? What is the ability to completely ruin your day? Things not going according to plan. Uh, a new item being damaged. Well, that's disappointing, but is it crushing? Uh, being late, stuck in traffic. Um, that can ruin our day. Why? Maybe it's because my reputation is on the line and uh, here I am being late. And what will people think of me? I can be part of the whole mix. What causes me the most uncontrollable emotions? Either of absolute excitement, pleasure, or the opposite, anger, jealousy, pride, or anxiety, or worry. Or a sense of despair or failure. These things start to show us. This is where we actually get our sense of satisfaction from. This is the thing that makes me more happy. More content. More at peace than anything else. Hold on a minute. Surely it should be God. That makes me all of those things. Where does my significance come from? Where does my satisfaction come from? The third area. Where does my security come from? Where does my security come from? What do we look at for stability and security in our lives? It could be savings. See, there's that deep idol. 
It could be abilities. Well, I'm in control. I've got this sorted. I can cope with this. It could be our health. It could be our ability uh, to, to plan and to control and, and to keep life predictable. That's where our security comes from. You see, here's the whole complexity of idols. You know, it's easy for the person who is super confident in their abilities to look better than the person who's the worrier. But actually, their security is coming from the fact that they think they control everything, that they can deal with everything. Our security can come from our achievements and the fact that we've achieved this and we've achieved that and we've achieved the next thing. And, and one writer speaks of achievement addiction where our security is tied to how we're doing, our performance. Well, I'm doing well. Uh, this has gone well and this has gone well for me. And we feel secure in who we are. You see, there's so many things that we can get our security from that make us feel safe in this broken world. Tim Keller writes uh, somewhere else, he says, because sometimes we can get our, our, our sense of satisfaction or our security uh, or even our significance from managing life well and there, you can be the perfectionist uh, or you can be the planner or whatever it is, you can be the person who's super confident in your own abilities. And he says, but through all of life, there runs a ground note of cosmic disappointment. And then he says, you're never going to live a wise life until you understand that. And oftentimes our failure to find satisfaction or security or significance sometimes comes because we're looking for it in a broken world on things that are broken and we're not going to find it there. Life is broken. So where do we get our security from? Where do we get our significance from? Where do we get our satisfaction from? And then thirdly, remedying our idols. We need to be able to, to ask these three diagnostic questions. We need to realise that idols aren't simply that somebody's bought a flash new car or got a new outfit or gone on a nice holiday, but that they're deeper than that. They are the very things that motivate us. But how do we remedy our idols? And John says, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Keep yourselves from idols. And the, the little word keep here is used elsewhere and it's translated guard used of Paul uh, being guarded by a Roman soldier uh, and he's held under house arrest in Rome in Acts 28. It's used in lots of different places for being guarded. Uh, Philippian jailer is guarding Paul and Silas and Philippi. We need to guard ourselves, to watch them, take, watch for idols taking root in our lives. Every time we sin, in a sense, every and we sin every time we respond incorrectly to something, it's because there's something in that moment is more important to us than God. It may be a momentary idol, it may be a longer term idol, but there is something in that moment that matters more to us than God. And so we need to root them out. But above and beyond the rooting out 
is the pouring in. And this is where we want to finish. An old preacher preached a sermon with the title, The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. He's saying that the more we love God, the more we expel the old things that we set our affection on. So we need to work at delighting in Christ and all his benefits. We need to work hard at trusting the relationship Jesus has brought us into. That's what John has been saying. He's been saying you belong to God and that's where significance and satisfaction and um, security come from. The first commandment, you should have no other gods before me. Jesus summed it up positively. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. You see, we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. As we do that, we'll be able to keep ourselves from idols. Think about it. Significance. What has John told us about our significance? Behold what manner of love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Who cares what other people think about us? Who cares even what other Christians think about us? We can't manage their thoughts and their minds but we can remind ourselves time and time again That we are loved by almighty God. We come and we look at the cross. And we say. Look how he loves me. This makes me significant. God the son. Died for me. God the father. Loved me. And sent his son to die for me. Not because I was somebody brilliant. I was a worthless sinner. But this makes me someone. I am loved by God. Where do we get our satisfaction from? It's so easy to get it from things or from things working out. Or uh, it's so easy to get it from our achievements. And it's satisfaction comes not from what we have. Or what we wish we had. But satisfaction comes from looking at the cross. And saying look if God has given me his son. He will give me anything that's good for me. He will bring into my life only what is good for me. Our problem is that we become dissatisfied. And we look for our satisfaction in other things that we don't have. And we need to look at the cross and say no no no. If it was good for me to have it, God would give me it. Because I look at the cross and see that he withholds no good thing from one who lives upright. He gives me his son. He gives me his son. Can we really look at the cross and say, you didn't give me enough. So we we look at the cross we say, no, 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 I know this God will always give me what's best. So if he hasn't given it to me, it can't be good for me. That's the reality. And then security. Security. We look at the cross and what do we see? 
We see that the, my father rules the universe. And he can take even the hardest moments and use them for good. And we recognize that because of the cross, it's not simply that we have a God who rules the universe, but we have a Father who rules the universe. And that our Father works everything for the good of his people. And that's where our security comes from. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He'll provide for us as we live for him. It's a broken universe. But he'll provide for me all that I need. And allow me to do all that needs to be done in any given day. Look at what he's already done for my safety. Look at what he's done for my security. And so we need to look at the cross and become enchanted by our God. We need to become Our problem is we become enchanted by other things. And we become disenchanted by God. We need to become enchanted. We need to become amazed at what God has done for us. Turn over a couple of pages to Jude, uh, verse 21. We are to... Jude, Jude verse 21. We are to keep ourselves from idols. Jude gives us a hint as to how we go about it. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Keep yourselves in God's love. Keep Drinking from the refreshing streams of God's good love to his people. Say to him, show me more, Lord. Show me more. Let me drink from those streams of living water that I might never thirst. Keep me from sipping this sea water, this salty water of idols that are all around me. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. He is able to keep us. So let us keep ourselves in his love. Let's, if we're able, let's stand and come to God in prayer. Almighty God, we have wandering hearts and our hearts are deceitful and we take good things and we make them into God things. We take good characteristics of being hard workers and we make them define us as if somehow our identity is found in our work ethic and our identity is found in you. Lord, we take our reputations, we take anything, Lord, and we put it into a place that should be reserved for Jesus. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to be shaped more and more by our love for Christ, 
that we get our satisfaction from him, that we get our significance from him, that we get our security from him, that we look at the cross and we see the rich love that you have for us, that we see that you can be trusted with all things that happen in our lives, the things that we have and the things that we don't have that we wish we had. Lord, help us to get our significance from them. We ask from you and not from them. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.